You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Mary McCourt. Thanks for joining us this week as we talk about Daughters of the Sexual Revolution, the untold story of the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. That's very long. I think we're already at an hour now. Very little time left to talk about it. (laughs) I agree, but it is well worth it. I really enjoyed it. I felt myself getting fired up at certain times. Yeah. And that's how I know I really enjoyed a documentary. So I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm good and feisty about it. So it must be good. (laughs) I found this on Stars. Mm-hmm. I think you found it somewhere. You rented it on Apple or something. I accidentally bought it. So my library has come a little nice. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to hit the back button, but no. Thanks, Apple TV. It's all good. <laughs> it was done in 2018. It's one hour and 18 minutes long. It's directed by Dana Adam Shapiro, who also did a documentary called Murderball. And we have to do that. We have to do that. Uh, Yeah. It's about paraplegics playing rugby. Fuck yeah. That sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Sweet, sweet. We'll put it on our list, guys. This is one of those documentaries that has the old footage of shit that I love. Like, I love to see what people were wearing, but mostly I like to see the stars embarrassing themselves with some shit that you don't say anymore. <laughs> oh my God, yes. But unfortunately, I think some of them wouldn't be embarrassed anymore. They would just be like, yep, that's true. They'd still hold to it, so... Well, this footage is probably from the 60s and 70s anyway, so the first two guys I think are dead that I wrote down. Jack Palance and Kirk Douglas are now on my shit list, is what my notes say, because they're like, oh, women, they should just mind their husbands, and a husband is the one who's in charge, and blah, 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 and I'm like, oh, just stop talking. Yeah, I mean, I don't need to watch Spartacus again. It's okay. I've seen it. (laughs) I can move on. Yes. (laughs) My favorite is some rando average guy it it must have been like a town hall type situation he has a microphone in the audience and he's like i just Mm -hmm. don't understand what women are really asking for and i'm assuming he's referring to equal rights like he assumes women have all the same rights as a white man him Mm. and a woman responds something to the extent of honey don't worry about it because of whatever they're asking for it's not from you (laughs) (laughs) saucy broads yeah love it love it yes ma'am So we come to 1967, Dallas, Texas. There's a woman named Bubbles Cash that is in the crowd. Yeah. Bubbles is an exotic dancer. Can we say she's in the crowd at a Dallas Cowboys football game? Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. She, I don't know, just by her general presence has whipped everyone into a fervor. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because she's stunning, number one, and her outfit is amazing, mm-hmm. and her hair is, is great, and all the things are put together, and I just loved it because she's catching everyone's attention. And I think strictly from this one broad at this game, the idea for the Cowboys cheerleaders is sparked. Right, because the GM at the time, Tex Tram, noticed that literally everyone in the stadium the players, the audience, the cameras all turned towards this woman mm-hmm. as she walked down the aisle. And he was like, hold the phone. We could take advantage of that, right? Mm-hmm. They also made a comment about something that I would have never thought about. And they talk about it later, too, that it's 1967 in Dallas, Texas. This is four years after the Kennedy assassination. Right. So Dallas is seen as kind of a you know, has a negative connotation because of that. Yeah, a pariah even, right? They're trying to shed the stigma of being mm-hmm. the place where the president was killed. Right, a beloved president was killed, yeah. Yeah, for certain. Mm-hmm. And again, I didn't even think about that. Like, eh, whatever, we're so far removed from it, you know? Right. So this is just one more thing to think about as we go forward. Mm-hmm. Also, Tex, which is a great name, mm-hmm. <laughs> the guy named Tex in named Dallas. Texas. Mm-hmm. Right. He was a bit of a visionary because he was realizing that television was the new medium, right? So people mm-hmm. are going to the games. Everybody goes to the stadium on Sundays. But as TV is becoming more popular, 
he kind of puts all this together at the same time, right? So pretty women get attention. There's going to be more coverage of games on TV. Mm -hmm. And maybe we're looking for something to um, change the dynamic that Texas is known for, or Dallas at least is known for. So he's on the good list, in my opinion, for this, for this round. Right. And he's looking for something to stand out, right? If all these teams Mm kind of look the same, what will make (laughs) us different? And yeah, I mean, I'm a girl, all the teams look the same, but (laughs) we have a lot of people in this documentary and a lot of former cheerleaders talking about this and I did mm-hmm. not get all of their names I didn't either so I started and then I'm like listen I cannot <laughs> with these women yeah. they're wonderful right. but mm-hmm. a lot of them but they did also talk to Dale Hansen Hansen who's the Cowboys was the Cowboys radio analyst from 1984 to 1996 and he definitely has that voice of someone who did radio for a living you can tell right he's like a game show host mm-hmm yeah but he made the comment of, you know, these cheerleaders weren't just standing out there going two, four, six, eight, right? Mm-hmm. This was like Broadway level production almost coming to the stadium every week, mm-hmm. which it's nice that a man can realize that and not be like, well, they're pretty. You know what I mean? I just. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just, just nothing but lizard brain comments. Yes. Mm-hmm. He comes across well. One lady that I captured her name is Von Sell Baker. She's mm-hmm. a cheerleader from 72 to 81. She's talking about the initial game that they performed at. Uh, she said they were welcomed with much fanfare. They're noticed as professionals. And that's really the difference between like your college cheerleaders or whatever. Right. Um, your sis boom persons. There's a lot of news coverage and lots and lots and lots of comments on what they are wearing. So, and if anyone has ever accidentally stumbled across a television sometime in the last, you know, 50 years, you had to have seen what they wear. The outfit isn't that much different now, I assume, than it was then. Mm-mm. Very teeny, teeny, tiny shorts, a very short mm-hmm. crop shirt with a vest and long sleeves. I don't know why the long sleeves, it might get hot out there, but it's extremely small, but it covers everything. Mm-hmm. And these women look amazing in them, right? If I had a body like that, you couldn't put clothes on me, honestly. Safety be damned at work. I'm wearing a bikini. Right. So they have, they're not cowboy boots. They're like go-go boots. Go-go I don't boots, know what's the yeah. best. Yeah. Like kind of a thick block heel. And mm-hmm. I mean, they're flexible enough that you can move around because this these girls are dancing. These ladies. Yeah. They're out shaking it. It's choreographed movement. I mean, this is difficult to execute and they make it look flawless every time yes and they're just doing an amazing job so not only do they have to look great smile for the camera not fall on their ass which is where they would have had me out and everything's got to stay covered so they're amazing yes one thing they did talk about is as we all know texas is also known for a lot of religion someone made a really good comment they said dallas is the place where the sacred and the profane live right next to each other Ain't that the truth? Right. It was really an interesting dynamic. But there was a lot of pushback. Did you get that reporter's name? He was sitting on a porch the whole time. I did. Joe Nick Patoski. Okay. Patuski. Joe Nick. That's what he will hear to before named. Yeah. He was the author of a book on the Cowboys called the Dallas Cowboys, the outrageous history. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah. They talked to him a lot during this. But for some reason, I didn't get his name at the beginning. Sure. Well, you know, they only put it on there once and then you're just SOL if you didn't catch it. So (laughs) pretty much they talked about there was a lot of pushback against the cheerleaders from the coach's wife specifically. Like she's like, listen, my Mm -hmm. husband can't be out there with these scantily clad women. And how little faith do you have in your husband? Honestly, that's all I get to say. But yeah, right. Because these girls are they're at least 18, I would say, but not much more. I mean, they had an age range in there, but I mean. And Coach Landry was, what, in his 40s or 50s at the time? I didn't really look it up, but... He might have been in his 30s, but back then they looked a fair bit older, so... (laughs) You know? It's very stoic, Coach Landry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They talk about the fact that because of that, they had to wear these modesty shields over their cleavage. And that lasted for Mm -hmm. exactly one half of one football game before they were like, get them the fuck out of there. Like, everyone protested with the exception of Mrs. Landry. One lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were gone. Our friend Dale kind of talks about setting the scene of watching the game on TV. 
So there's Pat Summerall, he's announcing and commenting. Coach Landry's in a suit. Staubach is the quarterback. And Drew Pearson is one of, uh, like, the wide receiver. So this is why the Cowboys are famous. I mean, like, probably not the only reason, but this was the level of fame and athleticism and all the good stuff that people watch football for. That's where the story starts. And then you throw the cheerleaders in on top of that, and it just explodes. So, Well, wasn't Coach Landry one of, I mean, he had won or taken the Cowboys to several Super Bowls, correct? I mean, they don't talk about it here much, but I mean, I was thinking for some reason, like mm-hmm. it was like after that, they're like, oh, well, maybe they're not as good anymore, but um, they were doing pretty well under his guidance. Yeah. Again, I think he was the coach, right? I couldn't tell you what his record is, but they do cite that it was Super Bowl Ten is part of the cheerleaders initial kind of their startup story. So I don't know how many of the appearances that the Cowboys made before that, but they were definitely in Super Bowl 10 against the Steelers, which I also happen to know that they are rivals. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Good knowledge, I guess. Sure. Um, so yes, the Super Bowl 10 was in 1976 and they were, mm-hmm. I guess the cheerleaders were, you know, they were known before that, but apparently this was when they became like a phenomenon, right? At one point Mm -hmm. in time in the middle of the production or the performance of the Super Bowl, one young lady winked at the camera and that's it. It exploded. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That one wink just set everyone's loins afire. So that's what I think. Yeah. Everyone thought she was winking at them. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, At this point, they kind of introduced Suzanne Mitchell, who was the cheerleader's director And Dale, at this point, mentions that she was kind of scary. So she was an amazing advocate for the girls themselves, even though she was a tough broad. Mm -hmm. She had some serious rules, which I wrote some down, and I thought they were hilarious. But the men were afraid of her because she was just a battle axe, and I love that about her. Right, especially in a time when, this is when feminist is really taking hold, and men are really pushing back against it because they don't necessarily want women in the same spaces as them because they tend to feel like that takes space away from them, which isn't necessarily true. Mm-hmm. However, she didn't give a fuck. She went in and she fought for what she knew was right in her mind. And she got shit done. She talks about the first time she met Tex Schramm, the GM. Mm-hmm. And I guess he asked what she planned to do with the Cowboys in the next five years. And she looked at him and said, well, your seat looks pretty comfortable. And he just laughed and said, well, you're hired. I mean, like you have the chutzpah. Come on. Yeah. She started doing Texas financial stuff. She was mm-hmm. doing all the player contract work. And after Super Bowl 10, he decided that, listen, someone's got to handle all this. And he kind of put her in charge of the cheerleaders at that point. Mm-hmm. We also talked to Candy Evans, who's the author of a book called Decade of Dreams. And this was specifically about the cheerleaders. Candy was a reporter. She was a journalist. And so Mm -hmm. she kind of got some shit from people in her circles that were like, why are you writing this? Why are you investing in this? And she saw that really what it was. I mean, she had a a few years to kind of come around, but she, I don't know, toured with them is the right way to say it. But she was really involved in what they stood for and kind of understood how, you know, how their process worked and, a lot about their ways. I think she even attended some of the auditions. Right. Yeah. I think she was with them for like nine months or so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But she talks about Suzanne and essentially Mm -hmm. Suzanne works seven days a week, 18 hour days. I'm out. There's no fucking way I would do a job like that. (laughs) Suzanne, Suzanne discusses that the first year they had 250 auditions. The second year they had over 4,000 applications. That's how fast that popularity grew. Mm -hmm which is crazy. There were a lot of homecoming queens, a lot of pageant queens, a lot of people who thought they were like the pinnacle of beauty and style, but everyone there thought that. And they were, I mean, amongst their peer Mm -hmm. group. And then you come here where everyone has that same resume, as it were. That's tough. Yeah. They show some footage of the auditions Mm -hmm. and I loved it so much. I mean, the style and stuff is different now. But it is, mm. oh, the dancing is just, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It's something. It really is. Yeah. A lot of gyrating, a lot of shaking. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because some of them talk about, there's one that discusses she never danced in school because it was considered sinful mm-hmm. to her family. So she kind of auditioned on the sly. 
And then mm-hmm. when her family found out about her actually getting mm-hmm. put on the cheerleading squad or team or whatever, she was essentially shunned. She didn't talk to her dad for a couple of years, I think. Yeah, this wasn't all fun and games for these women. They came from very diverse backgrounds. They kind of talked about one girl was dating a guy and he found out that she made it. And he was like, well, now you have to choose between cheerleading and me. And she's like, all right, peace. See you later. See you later. Right? <laughs> That's right. I would love to know if he was like, no, wait, I was just kidding. You know what I mean? I would love to have known had he come back. Crying, oh, of course. Of course. Mm-hmm. And so these girls had day jobs and some of them were... I'm going to say discriminated against because, well, one lady tells the story of she was applying to be a teacher and she did not get the opportunity because they said, well, you've defiled yourself and we can't have you teaching our children because you're out, you know, scantily clad on Sundays. And I thought that is some shit. Yeah. It is, it's horrible. Yeah. So the tryouts took about two months. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? No. I love that. The group was extremely diverse, even in the 70s, even mm-hmm. in Texas, which is probably extremely monochromatic, especially in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. You've got a very diverse group of white, brown, Asian, Latino, brunettes, blondes, redheads. She had a huge mix of women because she wanted, Suzanne, wanted everyone watching them to have someone to look up to, to look mm-hmm. to for whatever reason. And I thought that was brilliant on her part. That was way ahead of the game. Most people wouldn't get to, I mean, most people still haven't got to that point. So here we are. Right. There's one guy that mentions they lead the charge for diversity really in Texas as a whole. So they talk about all the white people go to white churches, all the brown people go to brown churches, and then everybody comes to the stadium on Sunday. And I really admired Suzanne because she did not think of diversity just as an old, old wooden ship. Right. Right. So, I mean, it helped spark some of that acceptance is maybe the best way I can say that. But I thought, how cool. Yeah. How cool to be thought of now as, I don't know, somebody who led something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So the new version of the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders that weren't like high school kids. So this new mm-hmm. and improved version that we know came out in 1972. Mm-hmm. As we know from previous documentaries and just history in general, Roe v. Wade That judgment was uh, handed down in January of 1973. Coincidence? I think not. I'm sure these ladies just pushed that envelope forward. Yeah, I I think so as well. There is some pushback, though. They do experience some of that. They kind of get some shit about they're selling innocence, right? But they're also selling sex appeal. And they have some stupid gimmicky shit that I didn't like. One girl said, well, I wasn't the prettiest, so they came up with me wearing pigtails. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. so. That I kind of felt, you know, whatever. That's not my favorite part. But the point is, women can be more than one thing. And I love this thing where, well, how am I supposed to distinguish what women are? They can only be innocent or have sex appeal. I just am befuddled by their many complexities. Mm -hmm. And it's just, (laughs) that's just a running theme of this whole thing. Like, everybody loves them. Until you, some people say, well, we, we just really understand what you're trying to do here. And it's like, yes, why don't you try to catch up instead of slowing us down? It's very annoying. It is. And you're right. It is a running theme throughout this mm-hmm. documentary. Just, just let them do what they want to do. So we talk about some of the rules. Now, Suzanne was very strict. She had a rule book that they had to memorize. And this came about because initially some of the players and cheerleaders would go to like the bars and then they'd be seen together. And some of these players were married. Oh yeah. And they didn't look good or they go out in their uniform. You cannot do that. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to make sure that they represented a specific image mm-hmm. when in public at all times, essentially, like you might mm-hmm. be looking sexy, but you need to be proper. Mm-hmm. So some of the rules, and this isn't all of them by far, but mm-hmm. they could not even talk to the players. Mm-hmm. Not not so much as date them, because before the rule was they couldn't date them, right? Mm-hmm. Now you can't even talk to them. You can't drink too much. You can't wear your uniform out. There's no swearing, and that's where I'm out. I mean, otherwise, I totally could have been a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. Right. Yeah. You can't wear blue jeans. No. No chewing gum ever. <laughs> right. No smoking of any kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the 70s. Everyone smoked. It reminded me of the League of Their Own. I mean, like, did they also have to go to manor school or whatever that is? Listen, these ladies are in Texas. They're debutantes. They already oh, they're have probably already in the You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And 
I like how Suzanne had mentioned that the cheerleaders felt like she was watching them all the time. She's like, I wasn't. But if they thought I was, they would kind of police themselves. Okay. <laughs> the mom trick. <laughs> yeah. I know what you did just there. Why don't you just tell me what you did? Right. right. <laughs> Love it. Mm-hmm. But she would kick you out. If you broke a serious rule and it wasn't like a minor infraction, I'm sure gum mm-hmm. isn't one to be kicked out for. But if you broke a real rule, she would kick you out. No questions. Yeah, she ran a tight ship. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that she enforced a lot of rules. I mean, in the outside world, too. So they were so famous that they did a lot of appearances on different shows. The cheerleaders had a stint on, they had an appearance on the love boat. And one mm-hmm. of the rules was they were not filmed from below, right? So it had to be like at eye level or whatever. You didn't film them like an up the skirt shot, if you will. <laughs> like you couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Right. So while they were getting ready to do their performance or while they were doing their performance during shooting, she pulled the girls off set and left because they had broken the rule. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, she like grabbed one of the cameras and threw it in the pool, which I was like, hell yeah, she did. And she yoinked them. They left. And so I think the next day they kind of smoothed everything over and they got their shit together and she brought the girls back to the set and they completed the scene that they were shooting in a way that she felt that was appropriate. And so mm-hmm. there you go. But yeah, she she wasn't just difficult to deal with as far as the girls were concerned, but she really watched out for them for the rest of the world mm-hmm. too to maintain their elegant image, their classy image, whatever you want to call that. So Right. Their yeah. reputations. Yeah. I love that. I love they had mentioned, you know, this is a woman in power that most people don't want to take seriously. And so when the producers are like, What gives? What's the big deal? And she's like, Oh no, right. no, no, no. You signed this contract that says these are the rules and you broke them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And they're like, oh, our bad. I'm sorry. Like, they signed the contract knowing what it was and then just didn't give a fuck. We're going to do whatever we want because they're just women. They don't care. Well, the best part is, too, you know, this was the agreement that we all made. And yet she's the problem here. Mm -hmm. She's the diva here because she just won't go with the flow when they already had that contract in place. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm really glad she was a formidable person like she she was the other time. Mm -hmm. Right. There was one woman talking about how. In the 70s, the world is trying to tell you what you need to do to be sexy and what you need to eat and drink to be sexy. And I thought, girl, that's since the beginning of time. What are you talking about (laughs) in the 70s? This is not new. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe the ads on television are new because before they were just in magazines. But come on now. Seriously. Well, some of the stuff that she references is tab, which we all know. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, some of us know. There's AIDS candy, A-Y-D-S. It's like a diet candy. I thought, well, that didn't age well. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, shit, there's AIDS candy. Yowza. Yeah, that's that's not good. Right. I mean, different spelling. And yet, I almost Mm -hmm. spit out my drink when I heard that. (laughs) All kinds of diet pills, right? So you have to be tiny. There's a lot of emphasis to be real, real little. The women are under Mm -hmm. a ton of pressure to keep their weight down. There's weigh-ins. There are a lot of instances of the girls doing the stuff that I always thought wrestlers did, which is like, you wear a trash bag, you sweat it out, you know, like do all these extremely unhealthy things. But they didn't necessarily know how unhealthy they were at the time, though. I mean, I don't agree with it, Mm -hmm. but at that time, especially diet pills, they weren't considered that big of a deal. Um, I think doctors would prescribe speed, so. Right. Right. Looking at you, Fen Fen. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, we all thought that was the... Miracle drug. Yes. And there were some talks about Susie would print out a picture. She would circle a bulge or whatever if you looked maybe a little not perfect in your uniform. And the women remembered that because anytime anybody points something out to you on your body, you just obsess Mm -hmm. over it. So this is probably my biggest complaint with Suzanne that basically how these women didn't all end up with an eating disorder. I don't know. They do talk about it a little bit. Some did. Yeah, Yeah. some did. And some still have issues with their weight to this day. They might not have anorexia or bulimia, Mm -hmm. but they still have issues with their weight and their self-image to this day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some had mentioned, I'd never thought about my body in that way before. Like I, I maybe had some self-acceptance before I went into this and then it was pointed out to me repeatedly Mm -hmm. And yeah, so like I said, she's, this is Suzanne, 
she's not exactly sorry. She says that she wishes she hadn't been as hard on them as she was, or maybe she had approached it in a different way, but she's not sorry about it. So. Yeah, I do want to point out to everyone out there, I don't care how skinny you are, if you bend at any way in your waist, you will form a tiny roll of skin, if nothing else. So mm-hmm. do not hold yourself accountable for that. Suzanne did say, you put the girls in the shorts, the cowboy shorts, cowboy cheerleader shorts. I guess the cowboys themselves didn't wear them, but that would be fun. Now that would have been fun. Yeah. <laughs> I totally would watch football if that were the case. I agree. <laughs> See? Right. You put the girls in the shorts, the uniform shorts, you sit them in front of a mirror and you say, tell me what's wrong with this picture and have them critique themselves. And they're like, oh, you're right, Suzanne, I'll get to work on it. And I thought, that's fucking horrible. Everything about this part of it doesn't make me happy. But I will say that the time that this took place and the uniforms they had to wear and the standards they had to be held to, I understand why it happened. I don't agree with it but I understand it. So. Yes. And that's really all you can say about it. It's yeah. This would not be acceptable for someone to do now as we understand a little bit more about how lifelong eating disorders are started and maintained. So Mm -hmm. love yourself, kids. Mm -hmm. The cheerleaders almost became bigger than the football team, which I'm sure the football team loved. Right on. Yeah. Um, They did performances at parades. They were on different like talk shows at events to raise money there were at least two cowboy cheerleaders movies which i believe jane seymour was in one of them good for her she was also a bond girl right she actually says that she felt like the cheerleaders were bigger than being a bond girl and just for Mm -hmm. your reference she was in the great live and let die Mm -hmm. and she played solitaire so she was also dr quinn medicine woman she really was and i don't know how old she is now but she's got to be in her mid-60s or something she still looks amazing she's stunning she's stunning yeah 100 percent. yeah i like i wrote specifically down that they were on the osmond show they were on a bob hope show they were on the feud Mm -hmm. so loved that that'd be the family feud for you young kids out there is it called the feud now i don't know Mm. it's we just call it the feud if you're in the know (laughs) yeah there was a gigantic poster was gigantically popular not a gigantic yes. poster like, i mean i'm I mean, sure there were some gigantic posters sold <laughs> really were. but the popularity of this poster outsold the famous farrah fawcett poster i would like to fact check that because that was just someone saying this was more popular than this and that farrah fawcett poster was in everyone's room men and women mm-hmm. girls and boys right i don't know about that i mean this was a good poster too don't get me wrong just saying i don't think it was quite as ubiquitous but it was so 70s. It was like Starburst and Foggy Floor. And, yes. Oh, it was some neon. Oh, God, it was great. If there had been a wind machine, that would have been slightly better. <laughs> it was so good, actually, that the Hef decided to do his own photo shoot. Mm-hmm. And they did the same exact photo shoot, essentially, with ex-cheerleaders with their boobs out. Yeah. I think it's really funny that those women have faced an act of oblivion. Like, think ancient Egypt when the ruler fell out of favor and they just wiped out all their stuff. Mm-hmm. These women are no longer in any of the records. So say some of the other cheerleaders. So I was like, oh, yes. Well, I hope you're mm-hmm. happy with yourselves. Yeah. Let's put it this way. Knowing how much these cheerleaders got paid, which we'll get into later. <sighs> the ones who did Playboy probably did a lot better financially. Just saying. I don't know about yeah. life and the after that, but from that alone. I will say that there's a wonderful lady named Susan Brown Miller and at a talk show where she is talking to, I mean, there's a panel of people, right? And Hef is one mm-hmm. of them mm-hmm. and he says some stupid shit and she just hands his ass to him. And that was I loved it. fantastic. It was glorious. It's basically like, Oh, I'm not objectifying women or whatever. It's fine. And then she said, you know what, when you come out here with a cotton tail on your rear end, then we'll talk about it. And everybody's like, oh, no, she didn't. You know, it's Oh, yeah, funny. she did. Yeah. And as she's talking, he's trying to talk over. She's like, I am not finished. And she, like, put her hand up. I'm like, girl, this is well before the I'm not finished of Kamala Harris. So, right. whew, listen, I love strong women like that. You go. I do, too. I know, too. I loved her. She says, you can't make a political point altogether politely, nor should you have to. 
right? That was me at the end. Sorry. Yes. Then we have another <sighs> clip of Muhammad Ali. He's saying Mm-mm. some stupid shit about, well, women always look up to men. And it's about if the theater that they were in caught on fire, all the women, I guess, would just stand around and wait for the men to find him a way out. And I was like, that's not true. And then he was like, and uh, men are taller. So women are always looking up to him from that angle. And I was like, all right, we're done. Yeah, he's like, it's it's not natural. It's against nature for us to look to them. Sir, women create life. We don't really need you that much. We have enough sperm in the banks. We could do without you for a while. It'd be all right. Now the other way around wouldn't work so well, would it? It really wouldn't. Which is how we mm-hmm. find ourselves in today's climate. Yes, it is. And eventually mm-hmm. we'll just become asexual and be able to procreate without men at all. That's the next evolution, <laughs> in my opinion. Right. There's some really good vibrators. That's fine. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are. Uh, woohoo! So, as we mentioned, the, the 70s is really where the women's movement starts to push forward more quickly. Right? It's been progressing for a little while now. Mm-hmm. But... This is where you have women going after women. And you get this all the time. You get it then. You get it now. And a lot of it is the patriarchy telling us this is what you should feel. And so if someone says other... Fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. If someone tells you to feel differently, it's almost like they've hit a core belief. And you're like, no, that's not true. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And you can't take that from me. Mm -hmm. And it might be what you want to do. And that's fine. But you can't tell someone else what they want to do, right? So then we get to Fresno State. And what happened there? So the cheerleaders go because they're trying to help the college raise money or the university. They want to build a new field house. For the women's sports. Right. They invite the cheerleaders to come be part of the fundraiser. They're going to do a halftime performance, all this kind of stuff. And so when the cheerleaders get there, there's a protest by specifically the female athletes. And there are a lot of signs that say things like hearts and minds, not bumps and grinds. So they were very unwelcome, especially by the female athletes. Mm -hmm. However, they did still help raise $200,000. Yes, they did, because they're better people. Right. I just, it's interesting to me, as athletic as these Mm -hmm. women are, Mm -hmm. honestly, they work out so hard and they're athletic on the field and off. That any other athlete would look at that and say, no, you're just a pretty face. Really? You come try to do this. I mean, it just, it's one of those things that it breaks my heart. If nothing else, feminism aside, they are athletic. And I think people should kind of see them as such, right? Well, I think this all comes down to the fact that, like, we're not in competition with each other. I mean, I I see this all the time in, like, even high school sports. Like, if you don't play... Mm -hmm basketball if you don't play football then it's not a real sport if you play golf which I did it was like why should we pay for your equipment and it's like what are Mm -hmm. you even talking about like this is just a school it we're not making a profit here it's just such a weird dynamic to say we are somehow better than you I don't know right I think it comes down to a little bit on that aspect that they do sell tickets to the games and basketball and football are going to bring in money whether it's just to rebuild a new stadium or whatever, and golf doesn't as much. So they're like, well, that doesn't matter to us as much. I understand that. But what um, I'm saying is yeah, there's always a measure of competition between different groups. And it doesn't matter what your stance is. It's somehow we're better than you. In this case, these female athletes were protesting how the girls or how the women were popular or made their money and weren't interested in their help, which is really counterintuitive mm-hmm. because you, you're going to benefit from them being here. So I just find it very problematic. Yeah. Anytime women are in competition with each other, it's a problem. I agree. Someone said, if you're a feminist, you probably don't think women should be doing this sort of thing. And in my opinion, that's exactly what a feminist states is you can do whatever you want. Yes. If that's what you want to do, absolutely go do it. Now, if someone's forcing you to do it, then I will help you say no. Damn the man. But if it's something that you want to do, then that's exactly what feminism is. Women should be able to do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And if it's shaking it in your tiny white shorts, then that's great as Mm -hmm. long as you have made the choice. Mm -hmm. Which then kind of makes a great segue to a lot of the other questions. Are these women being exploited? Is Suzanne objectifying them? And Mm -hmm. really the argument is no, because this is a voluntary thing. And really, if you're being objectified or exploited, 
you don't have a choice in the issue is the point they're trying to get across it. Correct. Suzanne seems to be quite a feminist in her own route because number one, she's the only executive on the Cowboys organization team. Yeah. Yes. And she's making her own way. She's paying her own bills. She's doing all the things that traditional feminists would approve of. So it's an interesting argument Mm -hmm. to make. And again, I say women arguing with other women about this is a problem. It is. My favorite is when they tell them, if someone were to say, one of the cheerleaders would say, listen, I enjoy doing this. This is what I want to do. And someone else telling them, you just don't understand why you're being exploited. Mm -hmm. They're just so condescending. Like, let them enjoy their fucking life, man. Just (laughs) let them be. Right. It may not be your choice. Right. And that's fine. Don't do it then. Mm -hmm. If you don't like it, don't do it. Crisis averted. And don't shit on other people for doing Mm -hmm. it either. Like, they're let them live their life. Right. I do think that this really plays nicely into the 70s being full of these same kinds of contradictions, right? So you're supposed to be an independent woman. You're supposed to work and you're supposed to do all those things. But also, if you need to know how to find a man, you can read Cosmopolitan. There's a ton of weird messaging that's going on. And the cheerleaders are sort of a a beacon of both. Right. And so they, they get a lot of shit for it. Yeah. Well, one of the things I really like about the cheerleaders, that was not their sole job. Thank God. Mm -hmm. They had to have a job or be married or be going to school specifically so that the cheerleaders, that wasn't their entire world, Mm -hmm. right? They needed to have something else outside of that, Mm -hmm. which I appreciate. However, That means that these women were working sometimes eight to five and then they get off at five and drive to the studio where they drink a diet Coke and eat an apple on the way because that's all they can eat to stay that tiny, tiny size. Mm -hmm. And then they work out until they said practice ended at 10, but oftentimes it didn't because if they didn't get it done to Suzanne's satisfaction, they continued to work, Mm -hmm. which they then drove home, went to sleep and did it again. Or some of them had to work more at night. Like say you're a teacher and you have to grade papers. You still have to get that shit done. Mm -hmm. And then you go to sleep for a couple hours and get up and do it again. So I'm tired just thinking about it. Yeah. And then when they're working out and they're practicing, oftentimes Suzanne would turn off the air conditioning (laughs) and not allow them to have water. And at first I'm like, the fuck you say that's cruel. Right. But then the, the reasoning behind it is because they're like, you have to be prepared because when you're on that field, it is hot. This is Texas in August right. for the first game. Right. It's like 110 degrees. So it's almost a form of conditioning. Yes. Right. Yeah. But the lead into it is great because you're like, is this another one of these weird weight control things she's doing? Because I was like, where are we going with this? And I was like, oh, okay, now I feel a little bit better about it. That's what I thought too. <laughs> yes. So if you kind of add up all of those things... They're driving a ton. They are working several hours in the evenings, four or five days a week. They do the games on the weekends. Or when they're not doing games at home, they volunteer on weekends. Mm -hmm. As the cheerleaders, they volunteer to do stuff. Right. And they did that all for the bargain price of? $15 per game. Yeah. $15 per game. Mm -hmm. Fuck you is all I have to say. Now, I agree they weren't being exploited sexually, but they were being exploited financially because how much money was that goddamn organization making off of them? Going around and doing stuff, volunteering, raising money, commercials, shows. Come on, $15 a game? Yeah, I guess I should have done the conversion to today's money. That would have been interesting. Okay, so $15 in 1970 is a equivalent in purchasing power to about $115 today. Oh, I take that back then. That's totally worth it. Right. So yeah, they were totally uh, pulling it over. We can say though, that this didn't cover their gas money. So several of them tried to carpool. They tried Mm -hmm. to maximize what they could to make this work for them. And Mm -hmm. I, I applaud their ingenuity. I think this is what smart savvy girls do. And I agree with you a hundred percent to say, they couldn't have paid them an actual $150 per game. I would love to know what they were pulling down, you know, with their TV mm-hmm. deals and blah, blah, blah. So just, yeah. Fucking ridiculous. Well, someone had made a comment where, you know, multimillion or billion dollar group 
being paid $15 a game. I mean, they were just making money hand over fist at that point, the organization, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. The NFL is also a um, not-for-profit organization. Just so you know, ladies and gentlemen, they don't pay taxes. Good grief. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, people pay income tax. Sure. The NFL as a whole, they don't have to pay taxes. Jesus. Okay. Take that in. Let's move on to something else <laughs> before I rage about that too much. So let's talk a little bit about a film called Debbie Does Dallas. Still, <laughs> This is a famous pornographic movie Mm -hmm. and it features let's say high school girls aspiring to be a cowboy cheerleader that's sort of the gist of this so you can see it's problematic because somebody is capitalizing on the fame of the cowboys cheerleaders Mm -hmm. there are things in the movie like the uniform is being used and there are three women named debbie on the squad that year Mm -hmm. So, well, Debbie was a kind of common name, so I'm assuming that was just a coincidence. But anyone named Debbie on the squad then, of course, got nonstop shit for it because of this movie's popularity. Right. And that's when porn was kind of becoming mainstream. Like, they're like, Mm -hmm. listen, you and your date, go out and see this for a good time. And I cannot imagine going to a movie theater to see porn. First of all, that movie theater had to be disgusting, right? Yeah. (laughs) Just a sticky everywhere. Okay. (laughs) Unhygienic. Right. Because they used the uniform, I think that was what Suzanne was able to latch onto to Mm -hmm. be able to sue them for, I don't know, maybe copyright or something. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And she went after them. She sued them. And she had to have bodyguards at all times because apparently the people who made this movie were the mafia. Who knew? Right. It seems like a guy named Carmen Galante was the boss. And then Michael Zaffirano was his right-hand lieutenant, let's say. And it just so happened that he ended up being in an elevator at the courthouse with Suzanne. I don't know where her bodyguard pieced out to, but she was like, oh, mm-hmm. crap. So he pulls a knife out of his boot. He goes, he's either pantomiming or really going to stab her. She doesn't really know. But she ended up blocking it and he laughs and then like gets out of the elevator and she said that was enough for me she had been terrified by that Mm -hmm. but I did think it was interesting because it ended up costing the cowboys about a million dollars and part of it was that they had to prove that this wasn't based on an actual person that was associated with the cowboys organization right so that's that's horrible what if it was who cares if they didn't give permission I don't know sorry right well I mean it's It would have been an interesting case. Did they have to prove that there's no one on the Cowboys cheerleader squad that has fucked her way onto the squad? How how do you prove that? I mean, I don't know. But I did get a note because they put a flash of a newspaper article. And in the article, it says uh, they have a settlement from the producers of the movie. This is because the original storyline depicted Debbie, Cody Fingers, had been a former cheerleader. So I think... The settlement either covered that and they had to change it or the settlement, I wasn't sure if they like, since they said the original storyline implies to me that they had to change it, but I I didn't get all of that. So do you think at some point in the movie, you see Debbie's mouth saying, I was a cheerleader and her actual words are, I am not a cheerleader. Like it just doesn't match (laughs) up at all. Like dubbed over in the (laughs) worst possible way. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Am I going to watch it? Probably not. <laughs> I absolutely will someday. I tell uh, you what. I haven't seen Deep Throat either, which I feel like I should have seen at some point in time. But no, I haven't seen any of the classics. Right. Do you think the mustaches in these are not to be missed on the men? Like just no hair anywhere to be found, but just a glorious head of hair and a mustache? There will be a ton of hair. This is the age of hairy chests. Oh, chest. okay. All right. I guess I'm I'm moving too far in the future. I think everyone looks a bit like Ron Jeremy. That's what I assume all the men look like. Hedgehogs. <laughs> Ugh. Oh. Mm-mm. And they wonder why women don't like it. That's not true. Women love it, but not for him. Okay. So the girls were celebrities, which comes with some problems, right? They talk about some of them having stalkers, which is terrifying, right? People would stand outside their houses. People would call them. People would mail them creepy stuff. One person tried to cut one of the girls' hair. 
yes, she was kind of known for her really pretty long blonde hair. Mm -hmm. And Suzanne, like, last second judo chopped a pair of scissors, scissor out of somebody's hand. (laughs) It's just like... (laughs) She's got some wild tales told about her in the best way Suzanne does. Like, she's like, yes. she was a superhero. We loved her and all this kind of stuff. But I was like, could you imagine just a judo chop situation? So, kids, anybody who doesn't know, there was one time in history where all of your addresses and your phone numbers were listed in a book that was delivered to everyone. And people would take that and they could find out where you were. Mm-hmm. And then that's how stalkering happened. Let's also put out there that they had to work for it. They couldn't GPS that shit. They had to Rand McNally <laughs> your address. Right. <laughs> right. So stalking now, I think, is a little bit easier. But back then, they had to really want it. I mean, there was a time when there were no stalker laws. So basically... No, they weren't doing any harm. So... Yeah, they were just scaring the shit out of you. Uh, evidently screaming down your chimney when you wouldn't open your door. I was like, that's resourceful and also horrible. And so the girls would be like, yeah, it happened twice. And then I moved. So, yeah, the cops would often say, well, they haven't done anything. They're, they're not causing any harm mm-hmm. until they do until someone ends up killed or harmed or hurt or raped. And then they're like, oh, our bad. Maybe we should have done something. Ugh. I also think it's true that it, in the 70s and also before it took a really long time before people took rape as a serious crime or really any crimes against women, which we are still fighting for today. I mean, what was she wearing, Erin? She probably asked for it. I mean, did she say no, no, no? Did she say the magic words? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, yeah, Suzanne would intercept letters that were, that would probably upset the girls. She wouldn't let them have them. She often got the FBI or other police involved. (laughs) That's right, fucking cartoonists that were, like, (laughs) drawing these, like, creepy BDSM shit and then she had the FBI track him down. Mm-hmm. Someone in his mom's basement or some shit. <laughs> of course he was. Are we surprised by this? Yeah. She hired a PI to watch one of the girls' house houses to make sure that she was safe after a stalker. Mm-hmm. One of the girls talked about being married when she initially became a cheerleader. She was married to an Elvis impersonator, guys. I mean, you should know from day one that's not going to go well. I'm just saying. Do you think he was not a hunk of hunk of burning love? <laughs> <laughs> So apparently he was sleeping with everybody. That's a apparently a, a very sexy gig. And she told Suzanne she needed to get a divorce. And she was scared to tell Suzanne. I'm sure because being divorced then was still kind of taboo. And so she probably thought that Suzanne would poo-poo it. But Suzanne was very supportive and said the Cowboys will support you. She found another girl for her to live with while she was going through it. Mm-hmm. And then Suzanne says, had to do some bad stuff to her husband at the time. She said she came in with bruises once too often, and it's nice when you have contacts. Do you think he got his kneecaps busted? I mean. Well, she elaborates a little bit and says something mm-hmm. about taking him out in the desert at night to have a talking to. Do you think they just sat him down with a cup of tea and was like, listen, friend, we can't <laughs> do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe with a gun and a shovel nearby. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. See, that hole's about your size. <laughs> I don't know that she had to resort to violence, but she was not above a good threat. <laughs> yeah, the threat of it. Yes. Oh, my God. Right. I love mm. her. I do, too. She's amazing. She also talked about how she was raped twice, once when she was 19 and once when she was 26 years old. She says at the time she didn't have anyone to talk to, which really made her understand how much you need someone to talk to at the time. And so she tried to make sure that she was that person for the girls. Yeah. Well, I just like the fact that Suzanne tried to be the support that she didn't have. And it resolved a lot of things for me. Cause I was, again, I believe that women can be complex and they can be tough ladies and also incredibly empathetic. And this was a really good mm-hmm. example of her being touch point, a real resource, a mentor. And she was a really therapist. supportive. Yeah. To the women mm-hmm. that she worked with. And I love that. I wish we saw more of that you can be a ball buster and a best friend. It's really lovely to see the women talk about her in this way. Right. Oh yes. They definitely speak about her. They speak highly. She cared about them. She was a mother to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She took care of them. It's crazy. Yeah. 
I wish they had discussed how old she was compared to the girls because she looks like she could have been a cheerleader. Like, what was she, 30? I mean, yeah. she's she was pretty young too. Stunning woman herself. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She was probably roughly the same age, a little bit older. Yeah. Within 10 years, sure. I would think. At least initially. I think so too. So at one point in time, they get a call from the Pentagon and they asked Tex if the girls could entertain the troops over Christmas because a lot of they had a lot of suicides at the time in Korea. Yeah. I'm going to say real quick, they probably still have a lot of suicides in the military. They just don't tell you about it anymore. Anyway. Right. Tex was like, oh, hell no. That's the playoff. Can't do that. We need the girls. Mm-hmm. To which they pushed back and finally he relented. Now, they don't send everyone. There is what they call a performance team that would go out to do the USO tours, which I think was cool. Mm-hmm. And Suzanne specifically said, I didn't pick the prettiest. I didn't pick the best dancers. I picked ones that I thought would go up, shake someone's hand, and hug a soldier. Right. Yeah. So she's sending the warmest people. Mm-hmm. Which is what they needed. Yeah. She wants to make a difference. Mm-hmm. If she's going to send these girls over there, she wants to engage these soldiers in a way maybe that they haven't had before. She wants to make them feel like somebody. And I loved that about that part of this. Yeah. Her statement there. Yeah. She said sometimes they would only go see four guys out at a radar site that no one really knew was there. But for a small period of time, those guys felt loved. (laughs) Stop it. I am almost done. I hate you both. Don't look at me like that. (laughs) I blame John for all of this. Right. Stupid John friend. Stupid John friend fixing the car. But yes, Mm. they would be able to make people feel important and that's something Mm -hmm. that everyone needs and that's something that i think a lot of military personnel don't get they're not meant to feel individual they're meant to be part of a brainless unit essentially and do what you're told so right so they were going to big sites they were going to small sites they were trying to make the most of their trips overseas and Mm -hmm. connect with as many people as possible the girls talk about these amazing adventures where they were lowered onto submarines by cables and like the scariest shit I have ever heard of in my life. And no, thank mm-hmm. you very much. But I think that they did make a difference to the armed forces people that they met with. Right. Right. It wasn't all fun and games. They were shot at mm-hmm. at one outing in Lebanon and Suzanne was sort of injured. Could have been much worse. I think she was shocked more than anything. She talks about having like a little dent in her forehead, basically, which could have been a bullet if somebody had not reacted really quickly and kind of, I don't think moved her out of the way, but like kind of shoved her out of the way. Right. Like it was a superhuman reflexes, but it was pretty close. Yeah. And she said that she was really touched because when it was in question, whether she was okay or not, the girls kind of rallied around her, like kind of did the army crawl over to her out of their vehicles to make sure that she was okay. Mm -hmm. So they also talk about, she did at least, 16 DOD USO tours Mm -hmm. and somehow it became a thing that the soldiers would give her pins would give her patches and she had a jacket that she would stay up overnight to sew that onto Mm -hmm. and it would show her wearing these when she was out and she said the jacket ended up weighing like 14 pounds keep in mind she weighs like 20 pounds herself so (laughs) yeah she's very tiny but I mean those are kind of a visual representation of how seriously she took it and how much it meant to her and how well that they were received. Right. And not just the cheerleaders, but her, because she went Mm -hmm. to all of them and it wasn't always the same cheerleaders, but she always went to them. And so the same Mm -hmm. soldiers would see her from one to the next. And one of them who gave her the first one actually saw her three years later in Turkey and gave her his new one. He said, that one was the Mm -hmm. one I got in Korea. This is the one I got in Turkey. So It's amazing that they remember the impact that she had. And she has a visual representation of the impact that she had that she could take with her, right? Because it seemed to really mean a lot to her. The way she spoke about those tours, it made me feel like that was maybe the most important thing she felt like she did. That's what I wrote down too, that this is one of her proudest accomplishments is is the Mm -hmm. way she talked about it. It was so reverent and lovely. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad that they included it in this because I had no idea. I didn't either. So we can kind of transition now to the very last bit of the documentary. And they're talking about Jerry Jones buys the Cowboys for like $1 billion. Can we also say that every single person they interviewed, like they did at the time that he bought them, (laughs) 
they mm-hmm. did like on the street kind of interviews with people asking what they thought about him. And they were like, oh, he's scum. He sucks. He's horrible. He's greasy. He was an oil guy from Arkansas. And they're like, go back. Right. I think he still owns them, doesn't he? I believe he does. He's been there for a really long time. Mm. He buys them in 1989. Mm-hmm. Suzanne leaves after four months. She can read the writing on the wall. Yep. He comes in. He fires a bunch of people. He just makes a general ass out of himself. Tex, who Suzanne had a really good relationship with, they had worked really well together. Tex gets shit on basically a couple different times. And they start to have problems where they did not have problems before, as in the coaches would come to rehearsals for the cheerleaders drunk. Yes. They would harass the girls and try to get them to do things that they hadn't done before. Like do this appearance just with me and my cronies go in this flight in your uniform just with me and my buddies. And it was a real loss of respect for what they were in their institution. And so a lot of the girls felt that it was slimy and did not care for it. Right. They were not being exploited before, but Jerry Jones definitely was trying to exploit them for his benefit. Right. He felt like, as the owner, he should get to do whatever he wanted with them. Right. He changed some of the rules. He said that the girls could date the players, things like that, which, you know, I don't know how much impact that had on things, but it almost gave me the feeling that he said that so that he could also say, and you can date the owner or whatever. Mm -hmm. It just really came across that they weren't really people. They were just eye candy, arm candy. Mm -hmm. And it was so bad that several of the veteran cheerleaders left. This is a squad of 36 women every year. Mm -hmm. And at one point, 14 of them quit at the same time. Yes. When Tex left, Suzanne left with him and 14 Mm -hmm. of the cheerleaders left with her. And that speaks volumes, in my opinion. These are, some of them were like, listen, I was at the top of my game. I was in the calendar. I was, you know, had been doing this and this and they were well revered and now they're like, no, we won't do it anymore. So yeah. Right. Cause they saw what the culture change was. It changed from, they had a little bit of, they were admired, but now it's, Hey, will you do this appearance with me? And it just mm-hmm. felt slimy and they knew what they were in for. So they left. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. And they didn't really talk about what the reaction of that was. There was no discussion on that. So that's interesting, but this is sort of, where we leave off, right? I'm assuming that Jerry Jones was like, well, now I'll get people in here who will be more compliant. He seems like that type of person. Of course. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously the cheerleaders are still a thing. So. Right. And hopefully with, you know, there are a lot more laws now than there were in the 1989 that hopefully he has Mm -hmm. to keep his fucking grubby paws off of them. Yeah. It's not great. The girls all speak about Suzanne, about how she taught them to be women and to support other women and to believe in themselves, which has carried them Mm -hmm. through their lives, which I think is amazing. Sure. So we do find out that she passes away in 2016. Mm -hmm. So Suzanne's no longer with us. Mm -hmm. She would not have seen the release of this documentary because it came out in 2018. And that's a bummer. Yeah. But at least I hope she felt like she was as cared for And as well-remembered as she was, right? I hope she kept in touch with those girls. And so she knew that. Yeah, I think so too. I do think it's also funny. Let's let's end on a little lighter note. That a lot of the girls kept their uniform. And they they didn't think anyone else did. But nobody talked about it. Yeah. And it was really funny. They were like, I have two of my (laughs) uniforms. And it was like, oh, it was so funny to listen to them talk. Yes. About the uh, subterfuge that they had partaken in when they absconded with a uniform my favorite uniform was von seal was that her name is that how you pronounce it okay Mm -hmm. von seal she was one of the original cheerleaders and so Mm -hmm. she had one of the first ever uniforms that was made and i loved it that to me was better than all the rest because she's like this is it this was the first version this is what we wore Mm -hmm. good for her yeah yeah it was amazing I really enjoyed this documentary. I enjoyed watching it from a perspective several years later. I mean, I remember seeing the cheerleaders. I remember, Mm -hmm. you know, watching them on TV and stuff like that. But as an adult woman, I love stories of women women foraged and broke through something and made an impression on people in the best way. And I liked this one because of that. 
Me too. And I will have to say at first, I wasn't so sure how I was going to feel because when they started talking about how she treated their weight and that, I was like, yeah, it wasn't great. But she turns it around. And again, we have to put it in perspective of the time. We can't punish people for the standards we have now versus the standards they had then. Right. So we try to keep that in mind, but Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. I loved seeing these women. Some of them are now PhDs or doctors or teachers or mothers, whatever they became. They're more than just bimbos in tiny little uniforms, although they looked lovely in those Mm -hmm. uniforms. Absolutely. It shows you they could be whatever they wanted to be. And I love that. And let's keep that in mind. Next time you see a woman dressed how you think is inappropriate. And just remember, she might be a doctor somewhere. Yeah. Okay. What are we doing next week? Next week. We are going to review a documentary called Rolling Like Thunder. You can find this on Hulu, about an hour and 11 minutes. This documentary discusses graffiti before it was considered art. I am interested because I love looking at graffiti. I think it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And I would like to understand how they do it. I agree. And I think this one specifically kind of talks about the trains. Because we all see trains as we're sitting and waiting to go that are tagged. And I will be, yeah, I'll be interested to hear about it. Yeah, it'll be awesome. Please rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at GoDocYourself. We would appreciate any recommendations or comments if you have things to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll talk to you next week. All right, later. Bye. It's a show. It's a show.